Greetings. My name is Danny Malenkov and I am blessed to have the opportunity to uh, take you on a journey through this week's Sabbath School lesson, lesson number four, uh, the title, The Eyes of the Lord, The Biblical Worldview. And uh, this quarter, our theme is education, in particular, Christian or education from a biblical worldview platform. So I hope and pray that you'll be blessed And so I'm going to pray before we plunge into our study for today. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you will bless our time together as we study your word. Uh, This is a very important subject as we take a look at the biblical worldview and as it relates to how we live our lives and and how we see the world and um, and how, how we see you. So I'll pray that as we open your word, you'll open our hearts and our minds, that we may be ready and willing to receive what you have for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when it comes to worldviews, as the lesson rightly points out, depending on where you have grown up uh, and uh, what your background is and so on and so forth, and there's many uh, variables, you will have a particular worldview. I think uh, this uh, brief summary here in the introduction to the lesson really sums it up, and I'll just read it. As human beings, we never look at the world from a neutral position. We see it always and only through filters that impact how we interpret and how we understand the world around us. That filter is called a worldview. Now, I'm not quite sure uh, the kind of home you grew up in, but I can tell you briefly about my home. Uh, I was blessed to grow up in a very loving uh, Seventh-day Adventist Christian home. Uh, My mother wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist to begin with. Uh, She became a Seventh-day Adventist before she got married to my father. My father grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home. They both grew up there in Macedonia in um, two villages. So that's all part of my background and my worldview. So I grew up in a yeah, very loving Seventh-day Adventist Christian home. Uh, I went to church from when I was in nappies right from the get-go. I went to Seventh-day Adventist um, schools, not all the way through. I spent uh, a number of years, I think three years, um, or three of my high school years, three of the six high school years I spent in uh, the state school system. And uh, then obviously I, 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 I well, I, I went to Avondale College as well, where I studied to be a minister of the gospel. And so I have been a Seventh-day Adventist, um, certainly in name, all of my life. There was a number of years there during my teenage years when I uh, drifted away. However, that's the that's the world that I grew up in. So uh, I guess I'm sharing, I'll be sharing from uh, a, bi- a biblical worldview because that's the worldview that I grew up with. That's the worldview that I have today adopted. It's interesting that the Bible says in Proverbs 15.3, and this is our memory text for this particular week, the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. And it's true, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Uh, we have we have right at the very outset, right at the very get-go of the Bible, in the very first verse, the very first words in Genesis point out that this world came about by God. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. 
famous, well-known passage, probably after John 3.16 or or maybe in in competition with John 3.16, these would be the most um, well-known words uh, when it comes to scripture that, that most people have heard or can even quote, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the biblical worldview has God at the very center as its creator. Now, there's a number of worldviews out there, um, uh, different. There, there are some that are, that are significantly different. There are, there are some that have um, smaller differences. If you Google worldviews, you will discover that. But I guess there are really two main worldviews. One worldview is that God created this world. There is a supreme being, and you may not be a Christian. Uh, You may be of another religion, but you still believe in a supreme being that brought this world and this universe into existence. And then there is the other worldview that uh, this world uh, came about, or the universe came about by chance. Uh, we used to refer to it as a Big Bang or just today known today known as the evolutionary theory where things just happened and uh, there is no supreme being, there is no God who created this world, that created this universe. This world has just come to be. Now, today we also have um, in Christian circles, and this is something that uh, that has not been around for the last 2,000 years, uh, but has been around probably, I'm not quite sure exactly, but certainly in the last um, 100 years or so, we have this... Uh, theistic atheistic point of view so we have we have those that consider themselves to believe in theistic evolution now theistic evolution um, in in my books just does not work it just does not work at all you either believe that God created this world as the Bible indicates uh, the Bible uh, is our only source of um, written, written, uh, uh, yeah, the only written account that we have uh, that tells us how this world came to be. It's the scriptures. Either you believe that this world came about um, through creation by a creator God, or you don't. I'm not quite sure how you can marry uh, the two, uh, atheism or, um, as, or, or evolution, I should say, evolution and creation. I want to probably read um, this interesting statement here that, that sort of helps, helps unpack this a little more, probably in, in a better way than I can put it. A biblical worldview must emphasize the importance of the doctrine of creation. This emphasis too becomes very important because the teaching has faced a full frontal assault in the name of science. Evolution, billions of years of life slowly evolving by fits and starts, all by chance, has all but destroyed faith in the Bible for untold millions. It's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine a teaching more antithetical to the Bible and to the Christian faith in general than evolution. That's why, now notice these words, these words are really really critical. That's why the idea that evolution can somehow be made to harmonize with the biblical doctrine of creation is even worse than atheistic evolution. It can't be done, not without making a mockery of the Bible and of the Christian faith as a whole. And so, you know, it's it's even worse 
to believe in theistic evolution than to believe in evolution on its own. So either it's either creation or or it's evolution, and uh, you know that's that's. That's what the Bible teaches, and it's not just in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, all the way through Scripture, you have the very clear evidence that God is the one who created this world. Now, before I share with you uh, this very interesting study um, that has been conducted, in fact, I may do that right now. And this just uh, really illustrates um, this idea that uh, Christians, many Christians, sadly, are at sea when it comes to their worldview, their biblical worldview. And uh, this, as I pointed out, has has really been has really been challenged in uh, in the last one hundred years, in particular. I want to just share with you this cultural uh, research center study by by the famous uh, Dr. George Barner. He's a researcher, a demographer, um, probably one of the leading, probably the leading uh, researcher when it comes to uh, Christian viewpoints and Christianity, mainly in the United States of America. But what he shares can certainly be translated to yeah, any other nation in the West in particular where there is a significant number of Christians. Now, Dr. George Barner is the Director of Research, Cultural Research Center. And uh, this particular uh, research that I'm going to read the title in just a moment came out just a week or so ago or a couple of weeks ago on October 6, 2020. October 6, 2020. Notice um, the title. And I just want to read to you a little bit from it. American Christians are redefining the faith. Adherents creating new worldviews loosely tied to biblical teaching. All right, check this out. It points out there are four, <coughs> excuse me, there are four, and I don't have COVID. I've just got this silly little cough that comes at different times. So I'm all good. And you're pretty safe. You're not going to catch it by listening to me, I'm sure. Uh, it points out that there are four uh, main uh, groups of, of Christians in the United States of America. There are evangelicals. That's one group. Then there are Pentecostals and Charismatics. That's a second group. Then there are your mainline Protestants. They are a third group. And then you have Catholics uh, as the fourth group. Now, I just want to share with you here regarding evangelicals. This is what it says. Evan this is the headline. Uh, <clears throat> Evangelicals are embracing secularism. Notice this. A majority, that is 52% of evangelicals reject, this is adults that were surveyed, of evangelicals reject absolute moral truth. 61% do not read the Bible on a daily basis. 75% believe that people are basically good. The study found that one-third to one-half of evangelicals in the survey embrace a variety of beliefs and behaviors counter to biblical teaching and long-standing evangelical beliefs. All right. So that's that's our evangelical friends. Now, Pentecostals and Charismatics. This is what it says about them. Pentecostals and Charismatics take secularization a step further. How do they do that? Well, let's keep reading. Two-thirds, that is 69%, reject absolute moral truth. Can you believe this? 69%, more than two-thirds of those who claim to be uh, Pentecostal and charismatic Christians reject absolute moral truth. 54% are unwilling to define human life as sacred. 
And so you wonder why abortion statistics are going through the roof. And this is obviously America, but uh, the same is true also, as I pointed out, in Australia and, and other Western nations. With half claiming the Bible is, is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion, and 69% say they prefer socialism to capitalism. Let's take a look at mainline Protestants. Okay, this is what it says about them. Mainline Protestants, and that would be Seventh-day Adventists, they would be considered mainline Protestants. Mainline Protestants are the most secular of the four faith families. Can you believe it? Check these out. These are the statistics from George Barna, just released a couple of weeks ago. 60% of mainline Protestants' beliefs directly conflict with Bible teaching. Now, if you missed that, I need, to I need to repeat that. And this is telling us why the biblical worldview is so under attack. This is why uh, today we are finding that what God predicted in the book of Deuteronomy, that the children of Israel, or he warned them, I guess his warning was, you could say a prediction also, but he warned them when they were to go into the land of Canaan, they were not to adopt the, the principle of the heathen. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8, where the principle of the heathen in the land of Canaan that they were about to inherit was every man, every woman doing what was right in his or her own eyes. And uh, the sad reality is, as you read through the book of Judges, that that is exactly what happened. Um, that when the children of Israel went into the promised land, uh, there came a time after Joshua and those initial leaders um, died out. We have the Bible account where every man did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, that's exactly how the book of, of, of Judges uh, ends. If you read the very last verse in the book of Judges, you discover that there was no king in Israel and every man, every woman did what was right in his or her own eyes. So every single person developed their own worldview that um, was comfortable for the way they lived and the way they expressed their faith. So, so back, to, back to these uh, statistics and um, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it again. 60%, this is regarding mainline Protestants, of which Seventh-day Adventists are a part of, 60% of mainline Protestants' beliefs directly conflict with Bible teachings. This is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Three key values define this group. That is truth and morality are relative. That's what they say. Life has no inherent value or purpose. So individuals should pursue personal happiness or satisfaction and traditional religious practices are no longer seen as central or essential to their Christian faith. And then when it comes to our Catholic brothers and sisters, this is what it says. Catholics are increasingly secular and permissive. Catholic beliefs are, un are surprisingly similar to those of mainline Protestants, but considerably different from that of evangelical and charismatic Protestants. Um, and it goes on and it describes what they believe in. And uh, this is just a little summary here from George Barna as he analyzes these statistics, as he analyzes these responses from Christians um, in the United States. And uh, just in case you're wondering, in the United States, 
uh, Christ, those who claim to be Christians, that number has been going down significantly, as it has been in Australia. Back in 1990, so that's 30-odd years ago, 30 years ago exactly, um, 85% of those uh, who completed the census in the United States of America claimed to be Christian. And that number is about 65 to 70% in 2020. Interestingly enough, in Australia, in 1986, okay, that's uh, just over 30 years ago, 73% uh, when completing the census said that they were Christian. And in 2016, that number has dropped down to 52%. So we've gone from 73% to 52% in the space of three decades. That's, that's fascinating. Now, back to George Barner. This is what he says, the irony of the reshaping of the spiritual landscape in America, and you can substitute Australia or any other Western nation that um, bases its, uh, its, its, its government and its foundation on Christianity or Christian principles is that it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. Unfortunately, the theology of this reformation is being driven by American culture rather than biblical truth. The worldviews embraced by the adherents of these distinct religious communities reflect contemporary worldly influence rather than biblical influence. And there's um, a whole bunch of um, interesting statistics here, which I won't go into. I have just taken a look at some of the major ones. But um, here is another here is another profound conclusion. And that is of mainline Protestant churches. So this one's especially relevant to Seventh-day Adventists, because we are one of those mainline Protestant churches. And this is right at the top of his list. This is a conclusion based on the research, based on the responses. Truth and morality are determined by the individual, not by God or the Bible. Truth and morality are, are determined by the individual and not by God or the Bible. And so, and so it's no wonder that today we are living um, in a world where the world uh, is at sea when it comes to morality, when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. And sadly, more and more, that has been creeping into the church. And so today, what we find is even within the Seventh-day Adventist church, sadly, there's a lot of confusion on on what is right and what is wrong and uh, what is God's plan and what is human a human plan, what is humanistic and what and what comes from God. And uh, if I can just go to um, marriage, even if we just take a, a look at marriage from the very beginning of time and for the past 6,000 years, it's been clearly understood that marriage, according to God's plan, according to God's worldview, according to God's um, instructions that he has given us, that marriage was to be between one man and one woman. But today, that is under attack. And even within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there are many that are wondering, is that indeed um, what marriage is? Or can marriage be redefined? And so we have this, we have this, continual, this continual discussion, this continual dialogue, um, wondering what is God's plan and, and how do we best uh, discover what that is. Now, what I do want to take a look at is uh, what Seventh-day Adventists believe. 
and Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Bible and the Bible alone as their rule of faith. That is extremely critical and extremely important. God's revealed truth to humans, according to the Seventh-day Adventist teachings, are revealed in God's Word. And all Christian education, we're talking about education, all Christian education must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And any teaching contrary to it must be rejected. That's from the Sabbath school lesson. I'm just reading that little portion. Now, what's fascinating to me is that the enemy has been, he, he has been attacking the, the primary institutions of blessing that God has given to the entire world. Now, earlier on, we, we, we talked about the, the Genesis account um, where the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, <laughs> God created the heavens and the earth. It's fascinating to me that in Genesis 1 and 2, there are three occasions where the Bible says God blessed. You can take a look at it. I won't tell you where the verses are. You'll need to find it for yourself. A little bit of homework. Genesis 1 and 2. A couple of them you probably already know. But the first time that the word blessed appears in the creation account is where God blesses uh, the fish of the sea and uh, the birds of the air. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, that took place on the fifth day. Now, the next time... Uh, the word blessed appears is in relation to God saying to Adam and Eve, who I guess are the first couple that he, that, that, that are married. Uh, he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the third time the word blessed appears, is it's in relation to the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting to me is, as I pointed out, the devil has been attacking these three institutions. He's been attacking the environment. He's been attacking marriage and the family, and ultimately his, his, his final triumph will be to attack the Sabbath day. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. When did all this really begin to take off in a major way? Well, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but, but discover that the Bible tells us that from the period of 1798, at the end of the 1260-year uh, period, that was spoken of of Daniel in Revelation, that, that prophecy that, that marks the beginning of the time of the end. So the time of the end, according to Scripture, begins in 1798 at the end of the 1260-year period. We have two significant events uh, that are shaping our world. One is the Industrial Revolution, where we have, we have gone from you know, the way life has carried on for hundreds, for thousands of years in a very basic way in a very agricultural, basic way, without machinery and so forth, to obviously industrialization. So we have, we have the capacity now to be able to produce goods um, like at no other time. We also have another phenomena that is kicking off at the beginning of the time of the end, and that is a population explosion. Okay, two factors, industrialization and a population explosion. So you've got more people wanting more goods that are available more so than, any, than at any other time in Earth's history. And so what do we have? As a result, we have, we have the environment under attack. We have uh, pollution. 
more so in the waterways. We have pollution on the land. Uh, we have uh, rainforests being cleared uh, in unprecedented ways. We have animal life, the, the animals that God blessed, and God would have, God also blessed the, the land animals, even though it doesn't mention that in the text that speaks of the birds and the fish, but you can include the land animals because they also were to be fruitful and multiply. So you have the the attack on the environment the attack on that first blessing so let's let's move forward a little okay as 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 people are spending more time uh, working in factories and so on and so forth uh, we now we now come to the point where marriage and family is under attack not due to that particular reason, um, but I'm just sort of moving ahead now. And now we have the attack of marriage and the family in the last 100 years in particular, and especially since the advent of Hollywood that is in opposition to the holy word. Okay, we've got two worldviews. One is do what is right in your own eyes or, um, you know, as I, as I say, if it feels good, just do it. Whatever floats your boat, just go for it. That's Hollywood. And the Holy Word is where God sets forth um, the template. He gives the GPS for how best we are to live our lives. And so you have marriage and the family under attack. And we can especially see that today. Marriage and the family is under attack. That's that second blessing in the Garden of Eden. So what's the third blessing? It's the Sabbath. So where are we heading now? That is the very climax of of Satan's attack on those three blessings from the Garden of Eden. The Sabbath. Why the Sabbath? Well, let's just take a look at what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath. It's there in the very heart of the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And then it goes on. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So notice uh, the Sabbath is for not only humans, but it's for the animals. And as we continue to read um, through the book of Exodus, we discover that God gave the Sabbath even for the land. Okay, that once, you know, every every seventh year, the children of Israel were to rest the land, let the land recover every seventh year. For in six days, I'm keeping on reading, verse 11, For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So here we have we have the reason why we worship God, the reason why the Bible, the reason why God's worldview is the one that we accept as those who believe in the Bible, those who follow Jesus Christ, those who claim to be Christians and take on board the name of Christ, because he is our creator. And not only is God our creator, not only do we find in the Bible, um, in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, and he deserves to be worshipped. He, he has the authority to receive worship, to receive our allegiance for us to live our lives in harmony with his will. But at the end of Genesis 3, before Adam and Eve have to leave the Garden of Eden, after they have sinned, after they have sown fig leaves for themselves to cover their nakedness, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that that, that God gave to them true 
coverings and what were those true coverings? What were those, what were those coverings that replaced those fig leaves that they had sown for themselves? Those coverings were animal skins. And in order to have those animal skins, what needed to happen? Animals needed to die. And so they were covered with the death of an animal. That animal represented the death of Jesus Christ. You and I are covered by the robe of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That is that animal skin that God covered Adam and Eve with in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, before they left paradise, God covered them with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that was the worldview that they took with them. So not only is God our creator, but God is also our redeemer through Jesus Christ. God the Son created this world. God the Father through God the Son, Jesus Christ created this world. And God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, redeemed this world. And God the Son, God the Father through God the Son continues to, to sustain this world. So God is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is our sustainer. And through Jesus Christ, God is the one that's going to take us to be with him forevermore. And so this is the worldview. This is the only worldview that makes, that, that not only makes sense, that not only makes sense, but this is the only worldview that gives us true hope, true meaning, true purpose for why we exist And so I want to encourage you as you think about that and as you think about how you live your life, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in God. Put your faith and trust in his word. Um, Don't live your life in harmony with what you think is best. Don't live your life in harmony with what the world thinks is best because the only one that will truly satisfy you, the only one that will enable you to live that abundant life, that Jesus promised, that is filled with true joy, true happiness, true peace, true true fulfillment, and true purpose. The only one that can do that for you is Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, just put your faith and trust in him. Put your faith and trust in his word, in his law of love. And, um, And don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap of following your own worldview, doing that which is right in your own eyes. For at the very beginning of time, that is how the sin virus entered this world. When when Eve followed the voice of the serpent, she looked at the fruit. She thought to herself, this is good. This is good. And she went with that and sadly, We know the rest of the story, the story of heartache, suffering and pain. So I want to encourage you, put your faith and trust in God. Put your faith and trust in his word. Listen to him and and you will prosper for that is God's plan for us. So that's the worldview. That's the worldview that God has um, invited us to um, adopt. That is part of that education that we so desperately need, and it will be God's worldview that will reign eternally in a land where there will be no more no more suffering and sorrow and sin, but a land where there will be eternal peace, joy, harmony, and the love of God. So let's just pause and pray as we bring our time to a close. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you that your word gives us 
the truth you have told us. We will know the truth if we abide in your word and your truth will set us free. Set us free from all the confusion. Set us free from the various views and theories that seek to extinguish Father, you as our creator, you as our God, you as our savior, you as our coming king, you as our sustainer, that seek to extinguish the the template that you have provided for us in life, which is your word. Oh, Father, may we may we stand on your word. May we not um, minimize your word. May we not seek to alter your word. Father, may we not seek to marry the things of this world and the ways of this world and the worldview of this world. May we not seek to marry that with your word, for they are and forever will be unequally yoked. But may we put our faith and trust in you, Lord. Bless us now in the rest of our day, wherever we may be listening from. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless.